Hey, if you're not already there, turn to page 15 in your notes, and we are, once again, shocker, uh, on the topic of salvation. Now, how many guys, again, you must be a, anybody prayer, consider themselves a prayer warrior? Ruth? Okay, possibly, that's right, because uh, I know you're out there, because I really think tonight, John, we are going to make it past paragraph one. It's awesome. New territory. I almost want to have a moment of silence. I'm excited. But that's right. Page 15, installed enough time. Let's take a look. We're dealing with the issue of salvation. If you hear the last two studies, we've uh, dealt with the issue, and I wanted to take the time because I think it's very important, especially in our skeptical world. We looked at this whole issue of salvation. Hopefully, we do not take it for granted. Okay, what in the world we're talking about? But we saw a couple different things over the last two weeks. Number one, we saw the uniqueness, okay, uh, of Christianity, okay? Because remember, what's the world? As we saw there in the text, it says, if you ask people about this whole issue about God, salvation, they give you the different answer. It says there in our first paragraph, there are many ways to God, right? And so we blew that out of the water by saying that, no, that's not at all what's going on because we saw the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, okay, is what's going on there and who he is as God, as the Messiah, as the one who's responsible for creation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the only way to heaven and that the Bible teaches that there is a hell and, and et cetera. That's not what other religions teach. And then last time, if you were here, we spent the pretty much the whole study, on that issue, on the other half of this issue, and that was the differences, okay? The differences, you got the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and the differences of the world religions. The world religions don't even agree at each other, let alone the uniqueness of Jesus. So again, how in the world could people continue to say that all religions basically teach the same thing, that all religions basically all lead in the same place? No, they don't, okay? Now, let's pick up where hopefully we are at tonight, and that's there towards the bottom of the paragraph, the first paragraph, page 15, under salvation, says most, if not all, the groups promote a way to reach God, but as we will see in our study, okay, the Bible's message is that we have underlined this, no way to reach God, okay? And that's the issue that's going on here. He, God, had to reach down to us, and so that's the question. Is there only one way to God? Jesus Christ said of himself, I am the way. Now notice again the articles, the way in every single one of those. The way, the truth, the life, not a way, a truth, a life. It's it, it's absolute. I didn't say this, Jesus did. He's the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by him. So let's see what salvation is all about and why Jesus Christ truly is the only way to the Father. Because again, that's the whole uh, topic is salvation. Now before we get there, I, unfortunately, the one person who wants to know the answer, Mary's not here, but I got to give it. Uh, we, we, we wanted to deal very quickly with the acronym Bubba Jones and Earl T. Mason, a pepper squirrel sausage. How many guys waited all week for that? Okay, well, I'm going to give you a little teaser because we, we're going to have a section, Lord willing, just dealing with Bible study, Bible memorization, okay? At that point, Lord willing, I want to go down deep on that issue. But tonight, give you a little teaser of why, because again, it's salvation. Where are we getting the information that we are talking about the last two weeks from? The Bible. That's right, we're on the Bible. Okay, but then the skeptic, not only says there's many ways to God, you know, they all lead to heaven. They would say, well, who, the Bible's just like, who makes it any different? Why is it any different than the Quran or, or the Hindu Vedas or something like that? No, the Bible, as you see, when you take a look at the characteristics, is unlike any other book on the planet. And it not only, as you will see, uh, uh, did come from God, it had to come from God. Man could never whip up what we have in the scriptures today. It's impossible. Believe it or not, that's from Bubba Jones. So let's take a look at the first one. Bubba, okay, is your acronym. Ten lines of evidence why the Bible is unlike any other book on the planet. It had to come from God. The first line to help you that is the Bible says so. And you think, well, that doesn't seem like a big point. Well, actually it is. Anybody who's supposed to be an honest seeker of the truth 
Okay, you have to give the document the benefit of the doubt, right? You have to enter into it without any skepticism or biasness, okay? Because we know that even in our courts of law, right? That a person is innocent until proven guilty, okay? But oftentimes, let's be honest, how, many, how do people approach the Bible? They say it's guilty until you, Christian, prove it innocent. That's not being honest, okay? So if you're honest, if you're being an honest seeker of the truth, even if you don't believe necessarily at the outset of your journey that the Bible really did come from God, you have to deal with this issue. What does the Bible say? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, the Bible declares itself to be the word of God. Thus says the Lord, the Lord saith, and the Lord has spoken, etc. over and over again. So you got to deal with this. The Bible presents itself. This isn't me making a statement that I think it is. No, the Bible declares it is. That's the first one, Bubba. Then you got Jones, which is the issue of Jesus. Jesus says so. Now here's the hypocrisy of the world. As we dealt before the last couple of weeks, the world would say Jesus is a great teacher, right? And they would relegate him to, you know, he's just like Muhammad or Confucius, you know, whatever. Okay, fine. I, that's, as we saw, Jesus didn't leave us with just that option, okay? But let's just play that little game along with you, okay? What did this great teacher teach then? Because they'll, they'll usually pick on the one, usually the golden rule. Well, he was, of course, he was awesome. He taught us to do unto others as we'd have them do unto us and, 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 and things of that nature. And, 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 and yeah, that's true, okay? But what else did this teacher teach if you just want to relegate him to that? And if you do the study, Jesus gave authority uh, and uh, uh, authenticity to the scripture, that it came from God. And when he spoke about people in the Bible, like Daniel, when Jesus spoke about, uh, I better write it over here, I'm going to mess up my acronym. When he spoke about people like Noah, he spoke of them as real people who really lived, because that's what the skeptics say. Well, that's just mythologies there to teach us. It's not real people. That's not a real literal Genesis account. That's not true. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Real guy, real coming, real Jesus. Okay, he's dealing with reality. Jesus declared the word of God. Jesus, by fact, by nature of being the Son of God, gives authority to the fact that this is indeed the word of God. Okay, and he fulfilled the word of God. 300 some prophecies, we'll get to that in a little bit. The Bible says so, Bubba Jones, and, okay, is the apostles say so. Okay, now this is important because if you're like trying to investigate a crime scene, Okay, if you're investigating that, what do you want? You want the witnesses, but you want the wit eyewitnesses, right? You don't want somebody that was 900 blocks away. Well, I think I heard something. No, you want somebody who was at the accident, who was at the scene of the crime, if you will. Okay, this is what's important. The apostles were right there with Jesus, okay? And what did they say? Well, first of all, they said, don't you ever dare, the warning in the book of Revelation, don't even dare tamper with these words that are written down, or you're going to get in big trouble with God, Okay. That's some serious vernacular. It's very strong, actually, at what's going on there. You don't want to do it, and you're going to get serious problems. Okay, but also, if this was just make-believe in a bunch of baloney, what you see with the apostles, if they didn't believe that the Bible uh, was the, actually the word of God, the message that they recorded down for us as well, based upon the prophecies, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, why in the world would every single one of them die for it? Would they die for a lie? Every one of them complete lunatics? That's not consistent. Okay, so you've got to deal with that. And again, they were the ones right there. They believed that it was the word of God. Bubba Jones and Earl. Earl is uh, the early church. Okay, early church is what's going on there with that one. And this is what's really neat. It's a researcher, uh, Dalrymple. That's a name. That's an awesome name. I like that name. Anyway, uh, David Dalrymple, I think is his name, and he's a researcher. And he researched, he, and he did a little game. He says, uh, so much so did the early church believe that the Bible 
uh, was the word of God. Just the New Testament, just the, the, the tens of thousands of quotations they quoted, the early church, from the New Testament, that it brought out an interesting characteristic that even if all the copies on the planet of the New Testament were completely destroyed, we can still reconstruct it just from the quotations taken from it from the early church fathers except for 11 verses. Why would you quote it so much if you didn't believe it was the... You see what I'm saying? So again, you've got to deal with that aspect. Bubba Jones and Earl T. is transmission standards, okay, is what's going on there. The transmission standards. And a lot of people, they'll, they'll bait you with this one. Like, well, how do we know that uh, if this really was from God, how do we even know that what we have is accurate to the original? Okay, because haven't you ever played the game? You say one thing over here to Ron, and then he whispers this to Orson, and then it goes over there to Dario, and by the time it gets over here to Oz, it's something completely different. Oh, and you mean to tell me over multitudes of generations, blah, 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 blah. What they just told you, they're ignorant of the transmission standards of how the Bible was faithfully copied to you and I. First of all, people say, well, how, even if Moses did write, and he did, I believe, obviously the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, okay, how did he know the accounts of creation? Well, that's why it's important to add up the dates with the genealogies, okay? And what you see is the first 2,157 years of mankind's history recorded in the Bible overlaps only the lives of three guys, okay? You, you do the math and you start to look at what's going on because remember they had the long ages? And those are literal ages. You don't believe it? I got a whole bunch of research that you can check it out yourself, okay, that I've done on that issue. And so over three guys. In fact, if you do the math, here's what's really interesting. Shem, who is one of... Uh, of uh, Noah's three sons, remember Ham, Shem, and Japheth? Okay, do the math, add up the dates. You know that part that people usually just snooze over? So-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, and they lived, and so-and-so. Hey, that's important. Every jot and tittle's in there for a reason. When you start doing the math, okay, some interesting characteristics pop out. And you see Shem, one of the actual survivors of the flood, okay, who would have the accounts of what happened before the flood, the Genesis account, etc., etc. One of the actual survivors was still alive okay, for I think it was like 58 years, okay, during the time of not just Abraham, but Isaac and Jacob. That's getting really close to Moses. So that just blows away this whole thing. Well, how do, how do we know? Is add, you know? Study your Bible, add up the dates, and all that starts to make sense. Then, of course, they don't have the, I'll just give you a little thing. The Jewish people, when they did uh, copy things, uh, they literally had it down to a mathematical formula. Each line, each codex, each thing had to be a certain amount of numbers, spacing, and whatever. It was literally a mathematical formula. And if the math didn't add up, Okay, it, it was completely destroyed. And by the way, you said, well, maybe they had a bad copy that got, we got no, because their regular practice was if there was even one thing that didn't add up mathematically, okay, it wasn't just destroyed, it was burned, and even the ashes were buried. They took it absolutely very serious. Plus, even in the New Testament, the common practice of transmitting uh, with the rabbis. You ever wonder why the rabbi, when it talks about, and Jesus and the apostles were walking, and we're going, well, it's because they didn't have any cars back then. okay. Well, yeah, there's that issue, but although, Bill, we do know, and I'm sure you're aware of this, but uh, the, uh, the apostles, they did drive a Honda because they all were in one accord. You heard that one. I had to say that. We were on that issue. Okay, but seriously, they had to walk around, right? And so, but see, what was this wasn't just because they didn't have vehicles, but that's the way the rabbis back then taught, and they would walk and they would follow, okay? And they would literally hang on his every word. They had a phrase back then, and it was basically a good disciple, okay, of a rabbi, is a one who was a cistern container, water container, that did not lose a drop, okay? Back then, they didn't have stuff that we have today that can record stuff and do all that stuff and, and you know, create backups and stuff like that. They used their brains called memorization. 
And that was the common practice. They memorized literally word for word everything. If you were going to be a good disciple, that's what we're here, disciple, mathetes. Okay, you mem- they memorized word for word. They didn't lose a drop of what the rabbi, as they walked along, was teaching them. They were just eating it up, memorizing, whatever. So when it came down to record, it's right there, right? How many guys have already got that stuck in your brain, even though I've only said it three times? Bubba Jones and Earl T. Mason ate pepper squirrel sausage. Apparently, I need to repeat it some more. But anyway, so what's going on there is you, you get something locked into your brain, it stays there. But then they have the backup policy. Jesus clearly said that he's going to send the comfort of the Holy Spirit who will remind them, okay, of everything that he told them. So God's going to make sure that it gets transmitted. So again, that's your Bubba Jones and Earl T. Mason. Mason is what we talked about the last, ish, uh, last week a little bit, give you a little teaser, is with the manuscript evidence is what's going on there. Okay, and that's the total hypocrisy. People say, well, again, how do we know, you know, it's, it's reliable and blah, blah, blah. We don't have the originals. All we got is copies. How do we know? Well, that was the hypocrisy we saw. Does anybody ever in philosophy class ever question the writings of Plato, even though we had, what was it, seven copies on the planet and they're 1,200 years removed from the original? Yep. Nobody ever questions him. Uh, Aristotle is another one. That's a, he's a big guy, right? Oh, Aristotle, oh yeah. Okay, we only have 49 copies on the planet, and his is 1,400 years removed from the original. Nobody ever questions him. But with the Bible, we have 24,000 plus copies, and then portions of John's writing we have within 25 years. But people doubt that? That's hypocrisy, okay, is what's going on there. Bubba Jones and Earl T. Mason ate... Okay, eight is archaeology. Believe it or not, archaeology, the Bible is so accurate, obviously, okay, that archaeologists, when they want to go find something, guess where they go, by and large? They go back to the Bible. Uh, Time and time again, the skeptics have accused the Bible, hey, there's no such people as the Hittites. We find no record of the Hittites. Made the papers, the whole nine yards. They not only found the Hittites, they have now found 1,200 years of their civilization. Can I translate that for you? Nanny, nanny, boo-boo, in Jesus' name is what's going on there. They said there was no such person as Pontius Pilate. They said there was no such things as doors mentioned in Sodom. They said there was no such thing as camels back in those periods. Every single one, oh, you just keep digging. Oh, Bible's right. In fact, it's so right that, again, if they want to go find something, by and large, hey, let's go back to the Bible. Where'd they say it was? Is what we see, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all over the place. And, and, and in fact, if the, the Jewish people uh, do a great job of making that because that's what the uh, Muslim community wants to do. The Palestinians over there want to say, well, they have no right to this land, et cetera, et cetera. And so they want to discount all these biblical characters, okay, uh, is what's going on there. And they say David wasn't real, Solomon wasn't real, and blah, blah, blah. And so that there's no actual recordings of this, so therefore you have no rights to this land, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And so the Jewish people do a lot of great jobs. In fact, what they do, they oftentimes go into these uh, sections. I kid you not, check it out. Uh, the Jewish archaeologists, they'll go into these sections and they will buy up homes and stuff and just for the purpose of ripping up the floors uh, so they can get into that area so they can prove, again, by the archaeological evidence, yep, that's real, yep, that king's mentioned, yep, 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 yep. It's the exact same thing. But again, what you find, actually, a Dr. Norman Geisler, a great apologist, he had said not one uh, incontrovertible find in archaeology has ever contradicted the biblical account. If the Bible is that accurate. Okay, so archaeology is very, very important. Bubba Jones and Earl T. Mason ate peppered. Peppered squirrel sausage is predictive prophecy. Now, this is common sense. Boy, Lord willing, once we get to that part and I can go down deep uh, in our study, that's awesome. And that's a common sense thing. If this book really did come from God, then you'd expect to see his signature all over it, right? 
that, that it would it contain things that only God can know. Tons of them, folks, all over the place. Uh, prophecy, all kinds of prophecy. And I'm not talking like what people would say today. Oh, hey, I went to so-and-so psychic, and they told me, of course, first of all, what's the population here in Las Vegas? About a million, something like that? Are you serious? Man, we got our job cut out, praise God. This is good. Too many people. Okay, you got two million people. And so, so you wake up, and of course, you work downtown, so you got to drive downtown or something like that, right? And so, uh, psychic uh, Joe Bob Chucky told me that today I'm going to meet somebody new. <laughs> well, duh. You know, two million people, you work downtown, what are the odds? You know what I'm saying? Unless you s- fell asleep in the closet for 24 hours, it's going to happen. Okay, that's not what we're talking about when the Bible predicts stuff. I mean, we're talking down to the minute detail. Okay, so that other stuff is a bunch of baloney is what's going on there. Okay, uh, Jesus fulfilled, I think, of his first coming, 318 prophecies, okay? And that's not all the other prophecies. I mean, the Bible talks about the rise and fall of nations, the rise and falls of kingdoms and kings and things of that nature, all kinds of things. Uh, but also with just the, the first coming of Jesus, the second coming, there's another 300. Gee whiz, if he fulfilled the first 318, how many guys would say he's going to do the second coming? And just to give you the odds real quick, just to give you the odds of one person throughout man's history fulfilling just eight, not 318, just eight of those prophecies would be akin to this analogy mathematically. Okay, this has been calculated. The odds of eight, uh, one person throughout mankind's history at any time fulfilling eight prophecies okay, is the same odds as if you were to take the whole state of Texas, if you were to cover them three feet deep in silver dollars, the whole state, three feet deep, hop in an airplane, just randomly, you're flying above the whole state of Texas, take a silver dollar, mark it with a red X, okay, and then just randomly throw it out in the airplane somewhere, go back to wherever you started from, land the plane, blindfold a guy, and say, okay, now start walking across the state of Texas, Okay, and uh, blindfolded, you have one pick and one pick only. You have to find that, that silver dollar marked uh, with red X. That's the same mathematical odds of one person throughout human history fulfilling just eight prophecies. He fulfilled 318, I think. It's impossible. But see, that's the importance of Bible prophecy. You would expect if a book really did come from God, who's above time and creation and everything else, and that he can see the beginning from the end, that he'd show us that he, in fact, knows the beginning from the end, i.e. he's God. And that's what we see all over the Bible. Bubba Jones and Earl T. Mason ate peppered squirrel. Squirrel is your science issue, is what's going on here. Now, people will say, well, the Bible, you know, you know of course, that's with the live evolution, blah, blah, blah. And again, do some research, 41 DVDs, a big, giant, fat book on the issue. It's taken six years, got it completed. Go check it out. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy your sleep. Uh, but uh, no, there's good information on there, I think. But uh, uh, that's a lie. But they, they have this premise like the Bible somehow contradicts science. How many of you guys have heard? I'll just give you one example. It's a liar, liar, pants on fire issue. How many of you guys have heard? Well, the Bible teaches. I can't trust the Bible. It's not. It contradicts known science. The Bible teaches that the world is flat. Anybody ever heard that baloney? Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Okay. Isaiah chapter 40, of course, was written by. Isaiah, you guys are on the ball. Isaiah chapter 40. And let's just read one verse, okay? Does the Bible really teach uh, the world is flat? Don't think so. Let's take a look. Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 22. Here's what it says. Speaking of God, okay? He sits enthroned above the flatness of the earth. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not what it says. What's it say there? Circle. What shape is a circle? Round. What the Bible say about the earth? 
So what's this whole baloney that they keep repeating? The Bible teaches the earth is flat. No, the Roman Catholic Church taught that. But the Bible never did. On and on again. In fact, what you find is scientists are catching up of what the Bible has been uh, uh, saying all along when it comes to scientific information. I'll just give you one other example and we'll move on. Again, later we can go down and deep and give you lots and lots of examples. Okay, we could save billions of taxpayers' dollars if you just read the Bible. I think it wasn't until the 1970s that they finally discovered that they're, what the Bible says, that the seas have paths and channels in them. You know, the currents and stuff? Yep. Discovered that recently. The Bible's been saying it the whole time. On and on it goes, folks. The Bible does not contradict uh, known science. That's a bunch of baloney. Now, the final one, Bubba Jones and Earl T. Mason ate pepper squirrel sausage, is statistical data. Okay, when you start to put it all together, man on his best day can never, ever, ever, ever whoop up this book because they'll say, and that's what I used to say as a skeptic, and I was the hypocrite because I'd make all these bold claims against the Bible. It's a book full of errors. It's a book that was just whooped up by man. But did I ever read it? Did I ever investigate it? By and large, no. Okay, so if you're going to make that kind of authoritative statement, I would assume you at least read it once. 99% of the crowd hasn't. Number two, once in a blue moon, you'll get somebody who says, oh, I read it one time, you know, and of course, they always have that sore throat when they talk like that, Tom. You know what I'm saying? But for some no. And uh, so, really, okay, so you read it one time, so that makes you an authority on the issue. So what you're telling me is uh, all I need to do uh, is I need to read a geometry book one time, and I can go teach here at UNLV. Doesn't work that way, right, to become an authority on the issue? So give me a break. And so that's what, but when you take a look at the characteristics of the Bible, folks, just amazing. The Bible was written, just to give you a couple of items, of note was written over a 1500 year span it was written by 40 different authors it was written on different continents it was written in three different languages it was written by different people from different walks of life who didn't know each other over different generations okay the fishermen's kings poets you know uh statesmen's and and just shepherds and stuff like that and they didn't even know each other and you put all that together over 1500 years 40 different authors they didn't know each other on different continents and three different languages different moods different places all that stuff and it never contradicts itself and it always maintains its unity throughout the old and new testament man on his best day can never whip that up okay so let us all refrain right now from after this study, ganging up and calling Mary and saying, Mary, guess what we learned tonight? <laughs> Bubba Jones. <laughs> Praise God for recordings. But anyway, so that's right. That's Bubba Jones, Earl T. Mason. Now that's important because again, as we encounter what we're about to, what we're about to get into our notes now, guys, scare we. And you need to understand that what we're about to encounter, this next aspect, the, I would say the important crux of the matter when it comes to salvation, this is what the Bible says. This is not a book whipped up by man. This is directly from God. And that's the issue. It says here, there exists a holy God. I like what R.C. Sproul says, folks. He says, we are scared of the holiness of God. We don't want to talk about the holiness of God. We like to play with sin. We like to pamper sin, okay? But I'm telling you, folks, if we do not understand this characteristic of God, his holiness, then all kinds of things do not make sense. It, hell makes no sense if you don't understand the holiness of God. Why would he do that? He's holy, okay? Judgment, the fact that God would even judge us, you know, people won't say, well, God loves everybody. And he wouldn't, pun really? Judgment slash punishment for sin, that will make no sense unless you understand the holiness of God, okay? You're not going to understand salvation. You're not going to understand why in the world 
Uh, do people need to know Jesus Christ? Why there is such urgency? None of that's going to make sense. Okay? And dare I say, if you don't understand the holiness of God, it will cheapen the love and the grace of God. Because when you understand how holy God is and how unholy we are, and yet he himself, in his absolute, incredible, infinite holiness, still went ahead and died for us, it magnifies our salvation. It magnifies his love and grace if you understand how holy he is. And that's what this section is. And this is what I appreciate about this. Before we get into the nuts and bolts, it deals with the crux of the matter. Salvation. Why is that important? Why are we saved? Because God is holy. We need to be saved from the holiness of God, from our unholy behavior. That's the whole crux of the matter. Let's continue on the notes. The Bible is clear that the God of the universe is holy. Now, I'm going to have a moment of silence, Byron. It's all the time I got for that because we are about to do our first blank. Holiness is your first blank there for those of you hooked on actually writing in a blank. Holiness is the word there. Means, in your workbook, holiness means that God is absolutely separate from and he is exalted above all his creatures is what it says there. And he is equally separate from all moral evil and sin is your next two blanks. He is equally separate from all moral evil and sin. This is such an important attribute. As you saw last week with my incredible drawing, and it's just as bad as it was last time. It's supposed to be a diamond, okay? And <laughs> we saw that this is God, and each facet, okay, is his characteristic, that God is just, and God is love, and God is righteous, and whatever. But, and, and, but they're all aspects of describing who God is. I'm telling you, if there was, if you will, if you will a, core, a core issue, it's God is holy. It is the only attribute in Scripture that's repeated three times. I think it's there for importance. If you want to emphasize something, you repeat it once, you repeat it again, you repeat it again. If you want your kids to do what you really want to say and you really want them to follow through, you say it probably a couple times, don't you? Now, don't forget, I'm telling you, whatever, etc. Except for John, he's got it going. You got that look, though. You got the dad look like, you know, whatever. So that works. But see, your eyes back it up. So but anyway, but uh, that, that's what's going on is holiness. It's the only one repeated three times. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 although he is. The Bible never says that God is just, 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 although he is. But the Bible does mention this one attribute. He is holy. He is holy. He is holy. It explains everything. It explains the predicament we're in apart from Jesus Christ. And explains the importance of people understanding this so that they can understand the true gospel. Jesus is not a life enhancement. I believe when you follow him as a true born-again Christian, your life will improve. But don't get the cart before the horse. He came to save us from the damnation we deserve for being unholy and impugning the holiness of God. If we don't understand that, and if people don't understand it, it's like, are they really understanding the gospel? Are they really even getting the gospel? Let's continue on. The, verse, the first example of this, Exodus 15, 11, says, Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Leviticus eleven forty four. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves. It means set yourself apart. Therefore, be holy, for I am holy. Thine eyes are too pure, God, to approve evil, and thou canst look on wickedness with favor. Okay? And again, that explains the crux of the matter, isn't it? God is so holy, okay? How is that which is unholy, you and I, apart from Jesus Christ, going to have a relationship with him who can't even uh, uh, look upon it with favor? How are we going to have a relationship with that which is holy in our unholy state? That's what this term describes, salvation. 
We need to be saved from that dilemma. Okay, let's continue on. And the four living creatures, Revelation 4, 8, each one of them having six wings are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say what? Love, love, love. No, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come, okay? Now, just to give you a little teaser of what happens when you encounter the holiness of God, the Bible gives us an example, okay? This is why I would agree with Sproul, is that we are scared of the holiness of God, because when you start to look at it, it is kind of scary. Let's take a look at some biblical examples of people who encountered the holiness of God. The Israelites are the first one, Exodus 20, Verse 18 through 19 is the text that says this. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the horn. Remember, God's presence is coming down. Okay, he's holy. And when they heard the loud blast of the horn and when they saw the lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you tell us what God says and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us. If he does, we will die. That's an intense passage. That was their encounter. The first thing God's coming down, it's just a, wow. That's interesting, isn't it? Let's take a look. Samson's parents had an encounter. This isn't just God. This is just a holy angel from God. Okay? Uh, And and the angel of the Lord. uh, Judges 13, verse 20 through 22. As the flame blazed up from the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame, and seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die. We have seen God. It wasn't, what? It's a knee-jerk reaction. We who have to still deal with the unholiness. We live in an unholy world, okay? We we, we have to deal with the unholy sin nature, the old man. That's not who we are anymore, but we still got to deal with it, right? And when you encounter the holiness of God, it's just, it's a knee-jerk reaction. Like one guy, he, he says, he says it's no normal of an instance if you were to take certain germs, okay, certain bacteria in the light of the sun instantly just are fried. It's a little bit of a thing. It's like, how is that which is unholy going to be in the absolute holy brightness without spot, without darkness or even shadow, the Bible says? How, how are you going to even enter into the presence of that being? And you see that with the reaction of the people. Uh, Daniel, he's another great prophet, Daniel, right? Mighty man of God. Listen to his response. Daniel chapter 10, verse 9 through 7 through 9. I, Daniel, was, uh, not, was the only one to see this. Now listen, he says, the men who were with me, although they didn't see it, okay, but they could sense something was going on in the room, he said they were overcome with fear and they ran off and hid. Nice friends, huh? <laughs> Fearing the worst. Left alone after the appearance, abandoned by my friends, I went weak in the knees, the blood drained from my face, I heard his voice, at the sound of it, I fell flat on the ground. Job, remember Job? He started to crack, he started to, why God, why, why is this happening, why, why, why? Okay, and then finally God, if you get there towards the end of Job, chapter 44, God starts asking him a bunch of questions, I think it's about like 80 or somewhere around there. You know how many Job answered back? You ever do that as a mom and dad? You know, your kids start lipping off? Hey, you get historical. Where were you? Because this is what God's doing. Where were you when I made the universe? Where were you when I did the constellations? Where were you, Job? What are you doing questioning me? Where were you when I laid the foundations of this world? What, 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 what's going on, Job? You know what I'm saying? You ever do that? Your kids come to you. Oh, yeah? Where were you? 
when we built this house? Where were you? Do you like the food you eat? Are you the one paying the bills? Are you the one doing this? You and do you really expect your kids to answer at that point? No, they know better, don't they? Okay, but anyway, that's right. But uh, that's the same thing that God's doing. Here's what Job says after all, God did all those questions. Excuse me, you question me? He says, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge, you ask God? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Oh, that I would even, whoa. Because think about it. When we question the sovereignty of God, what are we actually saying? That God did and or is doing something wrong. But if God ever did something wrong, what's that called? Sin. But he can't sin. He is holy. And that's why Job gets a spanking. It's not that God didn't care. Anybody ever get a spank from God? He knows what he's doing. You don't need to question him. It's called trust him. And he's already told us he's going to work it out for good. No need to back talk him. He knows what he's doing. He's told us that. He didn't, ha- he didn't have to tell us he's doing it for good, Romans 8, 28, but he does. And he's like, are you kidding me? Saying, God, why, why? He's basically saying, God, you're doing something wrong. You are sinning. <gasps> Might want to shut your mouth. You're accusing God who is holy, who is holy, who is holy of sin. That in itself is a sin. Very interesting. Uh, continuing on, the fifth person is Isaiah. Isaiah is chapter 6, of course, the great throne room scene. Uh, verses 1, 3, 4, and 5, he says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple as they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. At the sound of their voice, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. He said, doom, I'm as good as dead. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even. And the people I live with talk the same way. The words are corrupt and desecrate. And here I've looked at God, the face of the king. Ah! And he said what Job probably should have done. Oh! How could I ever? My mouth. Oh! And the people I live with. Oh. That's the holiness of God. He cannot, he will not justify sin as acceptable. It is counteractive to the core attribute of God. And until we understand this, we are not going to appreciate this. And dare I say, if we don't understand it, what kind of a gospel are we presenting to people? Okay, is what's going on there. Next page. Page two, Freddie. You excited, bro? Calm down. Praise God. Here's many, many other verses could be cited. But this sampling is enough to show us that one of the attributes of the eternal God is holiness. And not just, I'd say, one of them. It's one of the most important ones. Okay, especially on what we're talking about here. Okay, the above passage from Habakkuk 1.3, remember he can't, uh, he's, he's so, so pure he can't even uh, approve it, look upon it with approval, okay? And that's what he says. Uh, shows us how God reacts to evil, okay? He cannot approve, is your next blank there, he cannot approve it, nor look on it with favor as a result of his holiness, okay? Now let's flip it around. That's the reaction of people when they encounter the holiness of God, just the, oh! Okay, in our uh, in that unholy state. Okay, okay. Now let's take a look, and this explains some of these interesting passages that maybe people bring up to you and go like, "Well, that sure seems mean." No mean about it, man. When you understand the holiness of God, of how holy He is. Okay, let's take a look. Uh, the first person that got literally 
removed from his presence was Nadab and Abihu. Remember those guys? How many guys named your, your last two cats that? Don't lie, because that's a sin that's in here. That <laughs> Here's the account. Listen to this. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered strange and unholy fire. God gave them specific instructions. Here's how you're supposed to do it. Here's what you're supposed to use. You got it? Capiche? Got it? You cool? And they decided, hey, it's getting kind of boring, you know. He says, spice things up a little. Right? And he says, as the Lord had not commanded them, and there came forth fire from the Lord and killed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I and my will, not their own, will be acknowledged as hallowed by those who come near me, and before all the people I will be honored. Listen, and Aaron said nothing. He just lost two of his sons. God is so holy, he does not tolerate the slightest bit of sin. Okay? Second removal is Achan. Remember that guy? Oh, just a little compromise. God isn't going to notice. Nobody's going to notice. No big deal, right? God sees in the dark. Uh, Joshua chapter 7, verse 1, 24 and 26 says this, But Israel was unfaithful concerning the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of the things because God said, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't just, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to bless your socks off. Just don't do this. Don't touch those unholy things from the pagan nations. Because he told me, he says, if you do, they're going to be barbs. They're going to be distractions. Get your hands off of it. Don't, I'm going to bless you. Just don't do that. You're inviting trouble. Greed. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan. Okay, and so the Lord was angry, not just with them, Achan. He was angry at the whole camp. Does our sin affect other people? Does our sin affect the church? Okay, and it says this, Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver, robe, the, the, uh, the silver, the robe, the bar of gold, his, listen, other people had to pay a price. Sometimes other people pay a price for our sin, don't they? And then his sons, daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, tent, and everything he had. And they brought him to the valley of Achor, which I believe means suffering. Then Joshua said to Achan, Why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies, so the Lord was no longer angry. God is so holy, holy, holy. Not even a tiny bit of compromise from what he tells us to do. That's not tolerant. He does not tolerate that. Okay? Third removal is Uzzah. This explains this one. There was one thing you were not supposed to do, and that is touch the holy Ark of the Covenant. Don't do it, okay? And if you were, you had to grab the poles, you had to be the priest and whatever. Okay, so the good news was they finally got it back because it was captured, and the other people were getting, you know, cursed and plagues and stuff was busting out and stuff like that. Well, they finally get it back. So here's the scene, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen had stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark. Well, that just seems kind of harsh. Excuse me? God is so holy, he does not even tolerate the slightest deviation from his will. It will not be acceptable. And the consequences of that, just like the germs hitting the light of the sun, that's how holy he is. One more example. You think, well, that's just the Old Testament. You know, people say, well, that Old Testament God, he was a big old meanie. Mm-mm. New Testament. I love this one. And to answer this, I think really what God was doing with this passage, he was setting the pace. He expects his church to be holy. 
Listen to this. Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. There was also a man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. They brought part of the money to the apostles but claimed it was a full amount. Liar, liar, pants on fire. His wife agreed to the deception. Then Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Oh, it's just a white lie. It's, not, it's just a small lie. It, everybody doesn't lie. Really? It says here, he said, Satan's filled your heart when you lie. He says, you lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. You weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell on the floor and he died. And then later his wife died too because she was given opportunity and she still lied. And it says this, and everyone who heard it, this is the New Testament church, everyone who heard it was terrified. You betcha they were. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine right now, even here at sunrise, every single time that one of us told a lie, we dropped dead on the spot? This would be the quickest Bible study on the planet. It's over now. Pfft, we're all done. <laughs> but God was setting the pace. Hey, listen, folks, I'm setting the standard. Okay? Be holy as I am holy. You are representatives of me who is what? Who is holy, who is holy, who is holy to this planet right now. This is the holiness of God. Now do you see why I would agree with Sproul when he says we're scared to talk about the holiness of God? Okay, but I'm telling you, if we don't understand the holiness of God, we do not understand the great topic we are on that unfortunately we kind of downplay oftentimes. Salvation, I got saved. Do you understand what you're saved from? You were saved from the punishment, which is hell eternal separation from God. But you're saved from an encounter of the holiness of God in a sinful state. Right? We're saved from that dilemma. Okay? And, 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 do, you, and do you see, if you don't understand this, hell makes no sense. The fact that God has no tolerance and there is punishment for sin. Okay? And the fact that he judges sin and that he judges the planet. Okay? And he's coming back to judge it again. Okay, and then he's going to pour out his wrath on the Gentile nations and he's going to uh, uh, renew his, he's not done with his promises with Israel, Romans chapter 11. Do, and do you understand that salvation is not only not going to make sense, and, and, but it's also going to cheapen the love of God. Now with all that we just stated, with the holiness of God, the reaction of people, the removal of people, he does not tolerate not even the slightest bit of sin, a deviation from will, where we would sit there and categorize a small, little, itty bitty, lie, thing, compromise. Are you kidding me? And those people were just, boom, nuked on the spot. And yet, that's our God. And yet, he came. He could have nuked us like Uzzah. He could have nuked us like any one of those guys. But he came himself. Took the death penalty in our place to save us from our condition, our unholy condition, that now we have the robe of righteousness from Jesus Christ. And now, Hebrews says this statement, put this one together, this pops through my brain. As Christians, for what God has done to save us from this dilemma of this encounter with his holiness, that we have access to enter boldly into the very throne of God. Amen. Remember this guy, he was just, he, he, he tried to stabilize the cart. Boom, you're dead. How dare you do that? God, it was just a small little thing. Boom. You're dead. God, it was just a little lie. Boom. And yet now after what Jesus has done for us, he's not just saved us from the penalty of being unholy and impugning the holiness of God. We have such great intimacy with him even though we still blow it, don't we? Now do you see why if we don't understand this core issue, it cheapens 
the love of God, what we'll get to, the grace of God, the mercy of God. If we don't understand this core attribute that God is holy, it just makes it all just seem like chump change, doesn't it? But that's not all. Here's what this says. Here is the problem. Okay? That's what the Bible says. Salvation is what we saw, the first part. That's what the Bible says. That's salvation. Okay? But here's the, here's the truth of the Bible that we need to listen to. The Bubba Jones and Earl T. Mason ate pepper squirrel sausage. This came from God. And the first thing we need to understand is that he is holy. Okay, now here's the problem. That's this next section on page two. Mankind is sinful. Do you see the dilemma? Do you see the ultimate dilemma right out of the gates, man? Is the Bible is clear. God is holy, but we're not. What are we going to do? Again, that's the teaser of the statement that we see all the time. Save. Save from what? Salvation. You need to get saved. Save from what? Now, now put this, what we just studied tonight with the holiness of God, put it against these statements. Well, save from, you know, just, you know, your, your life isn't as good as it could be. <laughs> again, I agree when you follow Jesus as a true born-again Christian. Don't get the cart before the horse. I think your life will improve. But that's not what we're safe from. We're safe from that. And those kind of statements, oh, he's, he's a life enhancement, cheapens what he went through for us. When we understand what he went through for us, it's like, oh, thank you, God. Oh, thank you. Thank you for not treating me like Uzzah. Thank you, God, for not dropping me on the spot like Ananias and Sapphira. I am no better as a New Testament Christian. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the righteousness that you've given me in Jesus Christ, that on the cross you made the great exchange. You took all of my rottenness and placed it on the cross. And then you've given me in exchange all of his righteousness. And now you consider me your child. And I'm without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. I.E. Why? I am now considered. Listen, what's the word as we close? The Bible says that every born again Christian is a saint. You don't become a saint because you did some great things. And a hundred years later, the Roman Catholic Church determines you're a saint. And then you start praying to a dead person. That's blasphemy. The Bible says that every single Christian is a saint. It is the Greek word uh, hagios. It's cool. It's like a man word. God, hagios. Ah. Okay, in hagios. And literally what that word means, the, listen to what the Bible is saying, guys. Okay, the Bible is saying every single Christian, this is the translation of that word, saint. We don't get the impact of the irony. God is holy. Oh, our dilemma. Oh, ah, how are we going to survive this? Oh, no. Ah, ah. Through Jesus Christ, we just became a saint, which means it means holy one. You get it? Positionally, we are now considered holy in God's eyes. So now the dilemma is over, isn't it? How is that which is unholy going to have a relationship with he who is holy without being instantly... Jesus Christ has made us holy, a saint. Intimacy. And now we can approach his throne, not, even, not just when we get to heaven, but here and now as a born-again Christian. We can approach his holy, holy, holy throne and say, Father. And here's the kicker. He wants us to. Yeah. Makes you make that noise too whenever you do it. It gets me excited. <laughs> it's like somebody's trying to choke a mouse. What was that? <laughs> anyway, that was awesome. What a way to end a study. That's incredible. But uh, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, next week, Lord willing, we're going to get into that aspect. Man sinful. Okay, and again, uh, you tie all this together, and that's what I'm hoping we're given the accurate gospel when we share with people, okay? They need to be saved 
from this dilemma. Okay? We'll get into the issue of sinful man is sinful. You ever run into somebody who says this? I'm not a sinner. Don't call me a sinner. I'm not that bad of a person. Mm, that's Lord willing for next week. We'll prove that. That's pretty much common sense. But let's go ahead and pray. Well, hi. This is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. 
He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you for sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.